What a fireball y'all have here as a pastor, Joel. I want you to know that um, every time we've met together, uh, Joel, he, uh, he really, he bleeds the heart of God here in Sulphur Springs. And um, I remember when we first moved here from uh, Kentucky, I think there was about eight of y'all meeting in some little house down on a street way down the road. And I think when I left, y'all were around 100 or 200 or so, and, and God's really poured out a lot of awesome stuff here. Um, I speak blessings over all of you and um, all of you who, anybody visiting here this morning, don't raise your hand, but if you're visiting here today, I want you to know that you popped in on a really, really special place. And um, I've, I've talked with Joel about his heart and his vision and it's not his vision, it's the vision of God that God's entrusting to him for this whole area. And um, I, I want to, before I get into the message this morning, I want to share something with you about the Way Bible Church. And um, I'm not, I, I, I am kind of saying this prophetically. So um, I believe it's from the Lord. You can discern whether it is or not. All right. Um, I, I, I believe the Lord's going to not just change the name of this church. He's going to change the name of this church. And... Um, I'm not saying the way Bible church has to change, but I want you to know that the word Christian in Scripture was a word that was given to people of the way. Mm -hmm. And it was given to these people by outsiders. The word Christ means anointed one, right? So when the world saw Christians, they saw these little anointed ones. And the word Christian was a descriptive term that people on the outside used to describe the church, but the people on the inside describe themselves as people of the way. I want you to just Google search how many times the word the way is used in scripture. And from the very beginning of time, from Genesis, when God told Adam and Eve, kick them out of the garden, he kicked them out of the way. There was a way of living in the garden. He kicked them out of the way and spent 2,500 years restoring the way for all of us to come back into the way Christianity is a way of life. All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you today. I know that you, this, is, this, this house is filled with people of the way, and we ask that you make the way straight. Lord, I just thank you today for the way that you're bringing authority into this house to slow it down. Slow it down. And I ask, Lord, today that you speak a clear word, not just in here, but that you raise up a lampstand in this community, a divine broadcasting system that yells across all of Hopkins County to wherever you are, that you shout from the heavens, come here and find healing. Come here and find rest. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn to a couple of passages of Scripture, Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 14. Mark chapter 6, Matthew chapter 14, and um, I, I want to read uh, one of them in just a second, but I got to tell y'all my friend Boudreaux died. Y'all, heard, y'all know Boudreaux? Anybody know Boudreaux? Boudreaux died. Boudreaux's my friend from South Louisiana, and uh, he died. And uh, Boudreaux's a bad guy. He was very, very bad. He had a bad mouth. He had a bad life. He had a bad marriage. He had a bad job. He's a bad, bad man, all right? But his brother Thibodeau had a lot of compassion for Boudreaux's wife, Claudine. And Claudine didn't know how bad Boudreaux was. How many of y'all wives don't, you, how many of your husbands are glad your wives don't know how bad you are? <laughs> Some of them come, buddy. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. This is a father, happy Father's Day. And you're like, yeah, Father's Day. As long as she doesn't find out, well, I, I, it, it'll be a happy day. 
Y'all aren't laughing very loud. Well, Boudreaux had a lot of things that Claudine didn't know. And Thibodeau knew all these things. And the whole town knew. But the whole town knew that Claudine didn't know about Boudreaux's life. She just had these rose-colored glasses that thought Boudreaux went out and hunted and fished all day. But he never brought anything home. He just wanted Claudine to know he hunted and fished all day. But he was a bad man. And so he came to Pastor Vidrine and he told Vidrine, listen, man, Claudine's going to be on the front row. I'll give you $10,000 if you'll say Boudreaux is an angel. <laughs> man, don't, Boudreaux, can you say that? He goes, I don't know if I can do that. So all night long, Pastor Vidrine is sitting up and praying and thinking about what he's going to say about Boudreaux. Come to the time for the funeral, he stands up and he says, all of y'all know Boudreaux was a scoundrel. All y'all people know he was a thief. Worst man ever lived in this city. Stole stuff. Every time we saw him on a corner, as soon as his mouth opened up, he started telling a lie. Yeah, Boudreaux was full of vicious rumors. He lied. He cheated. He got in trouble with the game wardens all the time. They wouldn't let him on any of the rivers. Wouldn't let him on any of the swamps. Couldn't hunt. Couldn't fish. I won't even talk about his private life, but I'll tell you this. Compared to his brother Thibodeau, Boudreaux is an angel. <laughs> Come on now. It's all about perspective. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45, the Word of God says this, immediately, everybody say immediately. 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 That means something's happening, and then bam, Jesus causes something else to happen immediately. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had taken um, leave of them, he went to a mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately. He spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. All right, so I want you to say this last phrase out loud with me for just a second. And I, I want to camp out here on this word understand today, okay? I want to talk about foundations of understanding today. And I thought about maybe I should preach about storms. No. Maybe I should preach about faith. No. Maybe I should preach about, let me just preach, let's just talk about understanding. Read this last verse out, with, out loud with me, verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now, how many of y'all have ever heard of or know someone with a hard heart, all right? If, if you're sitting beside them, say, you know, you're not as bad as Boudreaux and Thibodeau. All right, here's, here's, what, here's the deal. If you're doing something bad, come here for a second. If you're doing something bad and I try to warn you, by bringing grace into your life. And I bring grace into your life, which means a second chance, a new perspective, an opportunity to change. And I'm bringing this into your life. And you push away. Okay? And I bring it to you again. 
and you push away. What am I doing? I'm hardening your heart. Do you understand? How am I hardening your heart? Every time you resist grace, your heart gets a little bit harder next time. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart by giving him 10 opportunities to change. And every time God gave him a chance to change, he didn't get the message. He didn't have eyes to see what God was doing. And since he couldn't see, he also couldn't hear. And because he couldn't see and he couldn't hear, he couldn't change. Because when God offer, offers opportunities to see and hear, he's given you a chance to change. You can have a seat. So, what in the world is the scripture saying here? That when Jesus got into the boat, these people were amazed that he walked on water because they didn't understand what he was doing when he multiplied bread and fish to feed the 5,000. And the reason they didn't understand is because their hearts were hard. Is it okay if I unpack this with you guys this morning? All right, so if you're in Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6, I want to give you some, some foundations of where I'm, I'm, I'm going this morning. Scripture says in Isaiah chapter 62 this, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him are, and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Here's the point of this morning's message. I'm going to give you the point before I give you the message. Are you, re are you ready? Seeing is not believing. Seeing is not believing. If you want to write this down, you, you can tweet it if you know what Twitter is. All right, ready? <laughs> ready? Understanding is believing. That's right. Understanding is believing. If I had a second point, I would say this. Hearing is not believing. Understanding is believing. And so what, what's the whole point here? Get understanding. If it costs you everything you have, get understanding. Now, I have four daughters and one son. And my oldest daughter, Shelby, go ahead and come here, Shelby. Shelby is 11. She's a full-grown woman. She's 11. Are you kidding me? She's 11. And she's, she's 11. And when we get in conversation sometimes, I think she thinks she's 18. She's five foot eight. She's taller than her mama. She's 11. When I, she's taller than I was when I was 11. And I don't, I can't tell you how many times during the week I hear from this mouth, I don't understand. <laughs> Just do it. Just say, I don't understand and go sit, go sit back down. Go sit back down. You're supposed to say, I don't understand. <laughs> now listen to me. Is that because I'm confusing? That's a bad question. I promise it's a little bit of a mix. There are some things that I would like for her to do because I say so. Come on, somebody. Your amen is weak and my, my earphone keeps popping off. 
Hallelujah. There, there are some things I really wanted to do because I say so. And she won't do until she understands. Now listen to me. Raise your hand if you'd be sitting your entire life if you refused to move until you understood. I'm not doing it. I'm not moving. Why? Because I don't understand. You sit your whole life. If we wait until we understand, we won't move. But here's the deal. How many of you have moved before you had understanding? And you went in the wrong direction. So how in the world do we get understanding and move? How do we wait for understanding and move? Here's the deal. Sometimes you don't get understanding until you move. And sometimes you don't get understanding until you sit. So we have to learn how to be still and know. And how to be still and go. Whoa, come on now. Here's what I mean by that. In Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14. And verse 14. This might be on all of the walls of your houses. You may have this scripture, Exodus 14. It says this, you will not have to fight this battle. You need only to be still. How many of y'all ever heard that scripture before? Do you know who was saying that? Moses. Do you know who he was talking to? A bunch of Israelites who were scared to death sitting. <gasps> Why are y'all scared? Because you just led us out of Egypt and there's Pharaoh and all the Egyptians and they're going to kill us. And here's Moses. <sighs> you will not have to fight this battle. You need only to be still. And you're going, oh, if we sit still, we're going to die. <laughs> Do you know what verse 15 says in Exodus chapter 14? Verse 15 says, then the Lord said, stop crying out to me and move on. Come on. Amen. You mean we don't have to fight, but we have to move. We have to be still and know and move at the same time. Come on. I don't understand. <laughs> How do I be still and go? Everybody say this. Lord, Make me still, Make me still. On, the on the inside while I go by faith on the outside. Some on somebody. I know that's good. It's been changing my life. All right. You can clap. So here's the deal, guys. Three simple truths about understanding. And these aren't the points of the message. These are like pre-points. All right. Have you ever heard of pre-points? Jeff Jenkins gives pre-points. Here we go. Understanding has to have a solid foundation for knowing. Understanding has to have a solid foundation for knowing. There must be something in your life, fathers. There must be something in your life that serves as the absolute solid source for everything you know. You're like, I don't know. I need to go to the foundation to get perspective on what this means. You have to go to a foundation to get perspective. Number two, understanding has to have a perfect lens. That's right. How many of y'all know the lenses we look through are not always good? Right. Come on. Okay, right. 
So we have to get a perfect lens. There must be a trustworthy lens through which you see and interpret all that you see in life. And number three, understanding has to have a perfect filter. If your eyes don't deceive you, your ears will. And I don't care how strong a loud a preacher is. Moses cannot shout, you will not have to fight this battle very long. It's a matter of time before the Egyptians are on your tail. You know what I'm saying? And you have no idea. You have no clue how the water's going to part. You just don't know. There was a time in the book of Joshua where it didn't part until they put their foot in it. There's some things you don't know until you go. There's some things you don't know until you step out. And then sometimes you step out and you're like, I shouldn't have stepped out. And it gives you understanding for how to take the next step the next time. Am I preaching to the walls? Are y'all with me? And so what I want to go with you through is three foundations. These are not just those simple truths, but I want to give you three foundations for understanding. I told you, and this is the sermon. I told you you have to have a foundation. So instead of talking about lenses and talking about filters, I just want to talk about three foundations, okay? And if you're a dad, get these. Please get these today. And I want to tell you that you're not going to get them today, but you got to get them today. Can I give you permission to give yourself permission to not get this sermon today and also give you permission to get this sermon today? Do you know what I mean? Amen. Have you ever heard a word that took you 25 years to get? That's right. If you don't understand what I'm saying, have four daughters. <laughs> There's some things this boy didn't know until I have four daughters. And it comes a time when they quit meeting you in the driveway. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's two that still think I hung the moon. There's, there's one who thinks that she trained me on how to hang the moon. <laughs> I love you, Shelby. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Foundation number one, the eternal peace of the Father. The eternal peace of the Father. Now, it's going to seem like I'm jumping around today, but I'm not. I'm going straight through the gospel of Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 14. And they're two parallel stories. And I want you to stay with me through three stories. Y'all ready for number one? The first story is when Jesus sends out the 12. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 6 through 13, here's what the word says. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Now, here's the question. Who prepared the way for Jesus? A man by the name of John the Baptist. He wasn't Baptist. (laughs) He was just John the Baptist, but he wasn't Baptist. If you don't understand, you'll understand. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. Here's how he did it. He went city to city saying, stop, drop, and roll. Don't work in hell. (laughs) Not really. He didn't say that. He said, turn or burn. No, he didn't say that. Here's what he said. Repent or perish. Change the way you're thinking. What do you mean? Well, this whole religious system, the way you're doing church, the way you're doing religion is not going to work very much longer. Here's the deal. You're doing religion, but you're still dead. You're doing religion, but you're not really on the way. You go to the church of the way, but you're not in the way. You're in the way. Do you understand? I mean, the way you're living is not in the way. It's like in the way. What do you mean? Well, when people look at you and they think they're seeing Jesus, they're not seeing the real deal. You're in the way. But you're not in the way. 
Do you understand? And so John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. But guess what happens in Mark chapter 6 at the very beginning? John the Baptist gets his head cut off. He's gone. And so Jesus' style of ministry shifts. Do you know what he does? He starts to go ahead of the disciples. John the Baptist was going ahead of him, but now Jesus is going ahead of the disciples. He's going and he's preaching from village to village and village to village and village to village. And people are hearing, they're seeing, they're seeing testimonies. And then you know what he does? In Mark chapter 6 of this next verse, he takes a seat. You know what he does? He tells the disciples, two by two, here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to give you authority over everything in the world, but I'm going to give you authority over sick and crazy people. (laughs) Raise your hand if you know us. No, don't. Do you know anybody who's sick and crazy? We're all sick and crazy. Some of us know it. The first step is knowing it. I know I'm sick and crazy, or at least I remember being sick and crazy. I don't understand. I don't understand. Here's we go. Mark chapter 6, it says, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the crazies. Impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. I understand that's not a cool message today, but it used to be. Verse 13, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. In Luke chapter 10, in verse 17 through 20, the Bible says that Jesus sent out not 12, but 72, which means that each of the 12 had pairs of three with them, or pairs of two with them, three pairs of two with them. It's more training ground. Are you with me? And here's what happened when the, when the 72 came back. You know what they told Jesus? Jesus, we saw demons submitting to us in your name. Now I have a question. Have you ever ministered to crazy people? I know you have. If you've ever ministered to anyone, you've ministered to a crazy person. But have you ever ministered to crazy? I mean like crazy. I mean like you don't come near me, I'll cut you. Crazy. Uh, you, you, some of them come by. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever ministered to sick? Oh, oh, she's faking. Oh, no, 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 I'm sick. What's wrong with you? I don't know. Well, every time you show up at their house, they get better. And it's not because you're healing. It's just because they're not sick. They just want your attention. Are you with me? Come on. Yeah. Have you ever known somebody who's addicted to the hospital because that's the only place they get daily attention? Have you ever met someone addicted to a jail cell because it's the only place where they have provision? There's some people who are sick because they want to be sick. It was a great question when Jesus asked the man at the pool, do you want to be well? Um, never thought about that. I kind of like here making, a, I like laying here making a living, begging from people. It's pretty easy and it's great attention. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're so sick. I'm so sorry. <laughs> 
You want to get better? No, I don't. I like you feeling sorry for me. Okay, stay right there. Don't be <laughs> birthday. Just bring her a pie every now and then. She'll be fine. No, no, sick people, sick and crazy. Jesus decides to come to the world for sick and crazy people. And if you would like to do ministry with people who are not sick and crazy, you will not be able to do ministry because everybody's sick and crazy. Just go to their house. You'll see. You know what I mean. Crazy people do this. So-and-so's coming over. Everybody clean up, clean up, clean up, clean up. That's crazy. You've also been to crazy people's houses that are a total wreck. So-and-so's coming over. I don't care how they see me. (laughs) Crazy people. My microphone's gone. On my shoulder. Crazy people. We're all crazy, just at different levels of recovery. Are you with me? I'm tired of our church. There's a bunch of crazy people. Well, as soon as you go to another one, you're going to find a bunch more. Are you with me? Here's what Jesus said. Peter, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus came to save crazies, of whom I'm the worst. Sinners. People who make bad decisions. If you're looking for a church that has leaders that make wise decisions all the time, you're crazy. (laughs) Mark chapter 2 and verse 17 says, it is not the healthy who need the doctor. It's the sick and crazies. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sick and crazies. And here's the deal. If you don't know you're sick and crazy, you're worse than the people who know they're sick and crazy. Jesus' problem was, his biggest problem in the world was the group of people who killed him because they didn't know they were sick. There's no such thing as a great dad. There's no such thing as an amazing father. We're all trying to figure this thing out as as sons who are a little less broken than we were yesterday or a little more broken than we were yesterday. And we're looking for a group of people that are okay saying, just pass me a drink and let's talk about life tonight. Will you do life with me without looking at me like I'm crazy? I know I'm crazy. I have a sign on my door that says, warning, I'm crazy. Not as crazy as Joel, but I'm crazy. (laughs) Compared to Joel, I'm an angel. (laughs) Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 said, for the Son of God came to seek and save the lost. Let me tell you what lost means. It doesn't mean people who haven't figured out that Jesus is Lord. It doesn't mean people who haven't figured out that they should go to church. Here's what lost means. It means you can't find hope. This is what lost means. It means you can't find an answer to the thing you're going through. What lost means is you can't find the way that you're trying to go. What lost means is you can't find the right answer to your 11-year-old. What the lost means is you, you can't find the financial solution you need right now. What lost means is you can't find bread. It means you can't find water. It means you can't find the next step. What lost means is your kids are now out of the house and you don't know what to do with your time. What lost means is you're about to retire and you think your life is over. What lost means is I don't know what to do next. I don't know the way. And just because you find the way doesn't mean you know the way. 
Just because you find the way doesn't mean that you're automatically no longer in the way. This is a process of coming into the understanding of an almighty God who flung the stars into the sky, breathed into a handful of dust, and called it a man and says to every man that he breathed into them and created life to them, I'm not interested. I am not interested in you proving yourself to me. I was standing in Medellin, Colombia this past week, and there were about, four, about thir- I won't exaggerate, about 3,500 3, leaders there from 20 different nations. And with an interpreter, I, I called a guy up, and it was at the end of a message, and I, I called a guy up, and I was talking to them about discerning the voice of acceptance and the voice of rejection. <laughs> crazy, I told you he's crazy. Your daughter's taller than me, by the way. <laughs> she is. Yeah. Don't tell her that. And here's what happened. I, I, I can show you a picture, but I, I didn't prepare this part. <laughs> I called this guy beside me, and I said, if you ever hear, translate, if you ever hear, a voice in your head, a voice in your head, say, show me what you're made of. Show me what you're made of. It's not God. It's not God. He knows that you're made from dust. He knows that you're made from dust. Boo! You're not cooperating. <laughs> and I sang a song over him, which I'm not going to, because I blush. Go ahead and have a seat. What you <laughs> so as, as he was standing there, and I started to sing over him, I mean, it was like the whole room was like, that's me. That's me. I'm addicted to trying to prove who I am. Even it's proven to God who I am. I, I, I'm, I'm feel crazy. We all do. Some of us tat ourselves up and go work out to make people think we're not crazy. (laughs) You crazy? (laughs) Anybody who spends three hours in a gym a day, crazy, man. (laughs) I'm running marathons for Jesus. No, you're not. You're crazy. (laughs) Crazy. Lost means you can't find strength. Lost means you can't find the source for what you need. And I want to tell you something about these guys. Is when Jesus sent these guys out two by two, He gave him authority over one thing, chaos. You have authority over chaos. Chaos. You have authority over storms. Here's two storms that you're gonna see on this journey when you go two by two. You're gonna see sick people and you're gonna see demon-possessed people. People who are demonized have outside influences controlling their behaviors. People who are sick have internal influences controlling their feelings and emotions. You're gonna have authority over the things from the outside controlling people and the inside things controlling people. Go. Wow, so they come back and you know what they say? I just wanna tell you, I I don't know if you've ever preached before to 4,000 people or 3,000 people, but they take pictures of you while you're talking. If you go to my Facebook page, there's this one guy that took like 71 pictures. I'm like, wow, that was pretty cool. I mean, don't take them from behind again. That wasn't very cool. This is my best side right here. Here's what happens when you're done. It's like, oh, can't they pick a photo? Why? Because they're crazy. No, what, people want to take pictures with you. They, they love it. They love it. You know how it feels? Do you know how it feels when everybody sees, even though they know that Jesus is their Savior, but they think you're the bomb? How many of y'all are okay being the bomb? No, even, you mean, you're like, I'm, I'm, Jesus can be Savior as long as I'm the bomb. I'm telling you, Jesus had a problem with this. And it took them all night in a boat to figure it out because they didn't understand. But when they went out doing ministry two by two 
entire villages came to faith in Jesus because of their ministry. And I don't know if you've ever been in ministry before and had a lot of people come to Jesus because of your influence, but it feels good. It feels very good, and it can be addicting. You're like, well, I'm not going to help anybody out then if it's addicting. You <laughs> fool, you don't understand. <laughs> Here's the deal. Ministry was addicting to them. How do you know? Point number two. Point number two was that Jesus, after, after they went out on this ministry journey, and all these people are like, oh, I don't know. You healed my family. Do you know what it would be like for Sister Crazy to no longer be crazy and the whole family to hear about it and all of them come to Jesus because you came to their house? Listen to me. They can't wait to see you again. They're following you. Where, where are you going? I'm going to go hear some more crazy. They're following you. They're following you. Why? Because you know the way. And as you're going on the way, they're following you wherever you go. Why? Because you know the way. What way? You know the way to wholeness on the inside and wholeness on the outside and how to be who you are no matter what's around you or what's inside you. You have the answer. We're all trying to figure out how to get back to the Garden of Eden where we walk and talk with God. But when he kicked us out, it got crazy. And so here's what happens. These people follow them. And here's point number two. Point number two is that Jesus now is standing with them and all of these people want something to eat. So foundation, number two, is the provision of the Father. Number one is the peace of the Father, the peace with the chaos inside and outside. Number two is the provision of the Father because all these people now, they're following Jesus. And I want you to listen to this text. When Jesus heard what happened, that means all these people, and John the Baptist got his head cut off, and the 12 are back, and he heard the testimonies of them. Here's what he said. He withdrew by boat to a private solitary place. Verse 13. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. What towns? All of the people that those 12 administered to are all coming together. Come on. That's right. And they don't know what they're coming together for. All they know is life is different after they met the way. That's all they know. And so they're all coming together. I feel my time ticking, so I want to go, I want to go a little bit quicker through this. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away. He'd been preaching all day. And I'm just telling you, if you're standing here, and you'd already ministered to all these people, you recruited the people, you evangelized the city, you healed the sick, you cleansed the, their diseases and drove out the demons, and now he's preaching all day long. I know you think 35-minute sermons are long and 50-minute sermons are long. I'm talking about an all-day-long sermon. Are you with me? I'm talking about <laughs> hot outside, no air conditioning in the Sea of Galilee. Are you kidding me? And so here's what you're doing now. You're not touching people. You're not healing people. Your ministry is insignificant. All you're doing now is watching Jesus do his thing. How insignificant is that? Jesus is preaching all day long. And here's what, the, here's what the guy sitting down comes and says. It may have been Peter. It may be somebody else. Comes up to Jesus. Hey, hey, come here, Jesus. Um, I don't know if you know this, but you've been preaching for like 11 hours, and they're hungry, and so are we. <laughs> um, think we can like dismiss them so they can go get something to eat? And here's what the Bible says. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Well, bring them here to me. He directed the people to sit down on the green grass. 
Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the people. And I just want you to know this, guys. If you go from doing this all day long after you're already tired and Jesus is feeling sorry for you because you're so tired, <laughs> you're tired. And if it's time to get to a solitary place and get quiet, because Jesus says so, it's time to get to a solitary place and get quiet. And on your way to a solitary place to get quiet, the man you're following decides to preach all day, and you can't sleep because you're a usher. <laughs> and so you're just sitting here, and now all of a sudden, he tells you to start ministering to the people by giving them food you don't even have. And I just want you to think about how stinking crazy it is five minutes later for fish to start popping out of your skin. Are you with me? I mean, you're walking down the street and all of a sudden bread and fish start jumping out of your body. I mean, like, bread and fish? You're the fish dude. Forget Iron Man, Superman. You're, you're fishing bread man. Fishing bread man. And let me tell you, if you have fish and bread coming out of your skin, people think you're the bomb. Do you understand that? They think you're amazing. And as you're ministering to the people and fish and bread are coming, have you ever had fish and bread come out of your skin? You ought to try it sometime. It will change your friends. You're no longer just a preacher. You are the provision. And as you're doing ministry and you're bringing provision of bread and fish to people, people think you're amazing. I promise you, you can get addicted to a crowd. You can get addicted to people liking you. Oh, that was such a beautiful song. I love when you play and you start kicking that foot. Oh, Jesus brings bread. I mean, when you kick that other foot, man, I just, this is so anointing. It's anointing. Come on, man. They meet you in the parking lot like they do, man. And then she gets jealous. Now, stay away from her. Stay away from her, huh? Mm-hmm, something on her, man. She don't want her watching my husband kick his foot. Oh, stay away from her. And you got, you got church police everywhere. They're like, listen, man, how the provision you provide for our family. And the moms are talking to the man saying, provision. And all of a sudden the husband's saying, um, uh, I can't do that. <laughs> now she's wanting to follow the way because of bread and fish there. And she won't, she, my wife's going to church all the time. She won't stay at home. I, I can't provide like that. I want you to tell you something today. Jesus had a message here. And I want to tell you what his message was. It's the number three. The provision of the Father was number two. Number three is this. It's the pavement of a rhema word. The pavement of a rhema word. The word rhema, it's a word that comes from God to hear, not from a book. You're like, what are you doing with this? All right. So here's how I know that the attitude of the disciples wasn't good when they were feeding people with bread and fish. The Bible says this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. All right, she's not making faces at me. She's making faces at her. I thought she was going to me. I was like, she wants some bread. She's making faces at her. Thank you, Jesus. Sick and crazy, sick and crazy. Hey, listen, it's not hard to distract me. Do not do this while I'm preaching. I think you're doing it at me. 
I remember one time I was preaching at Shannon Oaks Church, and this lady is sitting back there on the back row, and she was just doing this the whole time. Messed me up. <laughs> like, she don't agree with the thing I'm saying. I came up to her afterwards. I was like, listen, I noticed you were doing this the whole, the whole time I was preaching. I mean, uh, do we need to get together? She goes, I was telling my son he can't have any more crackers. I was like, I am so messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I am so, I mean, like, I'm like, I would have stopped 20 minutes ago if you just went with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you just do this, I'll, I'll preach shorter. So everybody now is like, <laughs> come on, it's not hard to shut me up. Just agree with me. <laughs> the Bible says immediately he made the disciples get in the boat. And Joel, you know why he made them get into the boat? Because they didn't want to get in the boat. Let me give you some background to this. He made the disciples get into the boat. And my perspective is because they were addicted to the crowd. They weren't getting the point. Their hearts were hardened because of the lows. They weren't seeing where the provision was coming from. They didn't understand that ministry was really all about him and not about them. The people thought it was them. The people thought they healed them. The people thought they cleansed the disease. The people thought, oh, I'm going to a church where someone's anointed. And I promise, this, this city is not desperate for a church that has an anointed leader. This city is desperate for people who can understand the way. Are you with me? When people understand the way, you stop killing pastors. Because you, you, here's the deal, you kill pastors that you put on pedestals. And when you realize that they're human, you kill them. And here's the deal, here's the, here's the thing, they're all crazy. Some are more crazy, I promise. But we're all crazy. After he dismissed the crowds, the Bible said he stayed back. I won't read the whole, the whole text, but here's what I want to tell you what happened. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. And I imagine this conversation, I'm not making this up, but in order for him to make them get in the boat immediately, it means they didn't want to get in the boat. I promise, have you ever rowed a boat for six or seven hours? If you have, you're crazy. <laughs> have, you, have you ever rowed a boat across the Sea of Galilee in a storm in the middle of the night? Four miles after you're tired from listening to an all-day-long sermon, after an entire three- to four-month process of going village to village, driving out demons and hanging out with crazy people, have you ever been all night long through something like that? Have you ever done this? I promise they didn't want to go on the boat. They can walk three or four miles around they can walk. We'll leave the boat there. What are we going to do on the other side? Well, all of our goods and services are there. We'll get, we have 5,000 people. Let them carry all of our stuff. We don't need to we'll get the boat. No, Jesus immediately made them get into a boat. And here's the deal. While he dismissed the crowds, I promise you, if you've ever done ministry before and you've even remotely liked people, they wanted to dismiss the crowd. <laughs> they wanted to say, fine, thank you, have a nice day. Hope you enjoyed the bread and fish. They wanted the antidotes. They, they wanted that. They did. And here's what they're thinking. I think the whole time they're rowing, they're, they're rowing this boat across this lake thinking, it seems like we're doing all the work. Why are we the ones, why do we have to, why isn't, if he's a good leader, he'd be in the boat with us in the middle of the storm. Why's, why's he dismissing the crowd? All he does is preach and dismiss the crowd and we do all the work of the ministry. You ever heard that, Joel? If you have, they're crazy. <laughs> they are crazy people say that. Joel, all he does is read the Bible and talk for 45 minutes on Sunday. How much is he making? 
Yeah, that's the devil's what that is. I'll tell you what, Jesus dismissed the crowd. And as they're rowing across the lake, it's like, if, just pretend like if from here to the back wall is across the Sea of Galilee. On the north side is Capernaum. On the south side is where the Dead Sea, you know, goes into the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. On the north side is Capernaum where Peter lived. And that's where they got in the boat and came over here to a remote solitary place. And the whole crowd followed them. I promise the whole time you're in the boat coming to this point of land and you see all the crazies on the land following you. You're like, let's turn the boat around. Let's go to the, uh, let's go turn to an all. Jesus had compassion on them. He came and sat them down and he fed them. And while he was feeding them, his disciples got addicted to the crowd. He put them in the boat, sent them on an all night journey across the lake because they didn't understand what he was doing with the bread and the fish. Here's what a rhema word is. A rhema word is when you say, God, you give me a word, I'm on it. I'm on it. The pavement of a rhema word. I want to tell you this. I'm going to submit an idea to you. And I know this. Peter did not walk on water. Peter walked on a word. Let me prove it to you. Jesus dismissed the crowds, and while Peter and the disciples, I need 12 people, one, two, I don't care if you're man or female, two, three, four, five, six, I'm going to go back here, seven, you feel like walking, feel like dancing, lead the pack, all right, here we go, eight, you don't want to walk, you want to walk, no, it's going to be slow, one, two, three, I need 12, the sermon ends as fast as 12 people get up here, all right, (laughs) come on, it's Father's Day, we got barbecue waiting, 12, they're running now, we got 12, all right, so what I want you to do is I want you to get in a pack of two by two by two by two by two. Ready? And I want you to go very slowly, very slowly. I mean like it's going to take you five minutes slow to get from here to that back door. And here's, no, I mean like if you get there in less than five minutes, you're just going to be standing at the door listening to me preach. So go super, 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 everybody say super slow, super slow. And y'all are following. They're rowing a boat. And as they're rowing the boat, here's what I want you to know happens. Jesus is dismissing a crowd. Y'all aren't rowing very well. All right, everybody. All right, y'all listen. The pack, they're leaving the pack. All right, come back, come back, come back. You got to go with them real slow. Go, go together. You're rowing. And here's what's happening. As they start to row, I promise they started murmuring. So just murmur. Just go murmur, 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 murmur. And Jesus is dismissing the crowds. Have a good day. Yeah. Uh, Jesus loves you. Yeah, have a good day. And then here's what happens. Jesus watches them. I've been there. I've been to the Sea of Galilee. Y'all are going too fast. I'm, y'all are going to beat me down there. Jesus is going from the, here. He goes, walks around this way. And as he's walking, they're going slow. You think rowing a boat's fast, but not in the middle of a storm. Not in the middle of the night. Not when you're bone dead tired and you got some bread and fish in the boat and you're wondering what in the world's all this about and why does he get to preach and teach and we're rowing the boat. This is not fair. And he watches them. Here's what the Bible says. He went to a solitary place so he could pray. He just, here's how he's praying. Watching them. And if he tells them that, if they tell him, I'm going to walk around. They know he can see them. Or they're wondering, I wonder if he's already there. Or I wonder if he's eating bread and fish. (laughs) Speculation. Y'all are going too fast still. And so then Jesus gets to the other side. Oh, the microphone work back here. Jesus gets all the way to the other side. And the Bible says that he sees them straining at the oars because the boat is being buffeted by the waves. How many of you have ever been going in the right, I know y'all hate listening to a sermon with your head turned around. I'm just keeping you awake. Are you with me? 
how many of you have ever been through a situation where you're doing fine? I mean, great. And then you just get that one email. You get that one phone call. Man, I'm just telling you, sometimes I'm so weak that an email can put me in a bad mood for four or five hours. And my wife will just say, baby, what's wrong with you? Well, if I told you, I'd be embarrassed. <laughs> so I don't know. I think my back hurts. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that because <laughs> I'm not that crazy. Jesus sees them with, with things happening. And here's what the Bible says in Mark chapter 6, that Jesus walked out to them intending to pass them by. The word says that he intended to pass them by. I wonder if he just wanted to hear them what they were saying. <laughs> and here's the deal. They didn't even cry out to him in faith. They cried out, holy smokes. Ah! Ah! It's a ghost. I mean, have you ever saw something that you thought was a ghost after you've been rowing all night and you're hungry and you're tired? Have you ever been... In a situation where you felt you were losing your mind crazy. Here's what happens. Jesus is walking out and they cried out, ah! And here's what Jesus said. Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And you know what? The Gospel of Matthew says in chapter 14, I think around verse 28. Here's what Matthew says. Peter said something stupid. Imagine that. All right, turn the boat around. We're going this direction now. Because <laughs> they're getting tired of looking around. Peter said something stupid. Here's what he said. Now listen to me. If I'm in the boat and I think it's Jesus on the water, here's what I'm going to say. Dude, if that's you, would you get in this boat and get us over there to the land right now? If that's you, if that's you, Jesus, will you stop this storm? Hey, Jesus, if that's you, will you get us out of this mess? If that's you, will you help us understand what you're doing? Help us understand. That's what I would have said. You know what Peter said? Hey, if that's you, tell me to get out of the boat and walk to you. That's dumb. <laughs> Not an educated man. And so here's what Jesus did. Jesus paved the way with a word. Here's what he said. All right, Joel, you get to be Peter. Here's what he said. Come. And the Bible said that Peter began walking to Jesus and then he saw the waves, and he began to sink. <laughs> and the Bible said Jesus reached out and caught him. And how many of y'all ever saw, you pictured this, like kind of get, 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 Peter's underwater, and Jesus is like dragging him around in the water, <laughs> walking. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, or did you think Peter went all the way under, and he's like, I mean, like, you know what I mean, Spectre Gadget arms, <laughs> pulled him out of the water? No, what's going on here? I mean, like, here's the deal. He began to sink. He just began to sink. Jesus is available to you when you begin to sink. He doesn't let you get all the way underwater before he reaches out with those big old inspector gadget arms and say, why are you looking at the waves? I'm looking at the waves because I'm crazy sometimes. And as Peter began to sink, here's what Jesus said. Hey, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. Oh, little faith, I've heard some really bad sermons that say, keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll never sink. That's not true. That's not true. 
I keep my eyes on Jesus, and all it takes is for a second for me to blink my eyes, and I feel like I'm sinking. Anybody feel like you're sinking when you just blink? Everybody says, I got to blink. Here's the deal. Peter began to sink, and Jesus didn't say the quality of your faith was little. He didn't say the quantity of your faith was little. It's, a, it's an endurance word. The word little there means endurance. It means, why did you stop? Don't stop. Believe. So you need that song. Why did you stop, buddy? You were doing great. Why did you stop? Now, here's the magic question. How do you think Peter got back to the boat? He didn't swim, I promise. And why do you think Jesus didn't calm the storm down until they were both back in the boat? Jesus wants to give you a victory right now today, Dad. Each one of you dads that are wondering, is he going to punish me because my faith is little? Is he going to punish me because I don't have very much faith? Or does he walk me all the way back because he's faithful and he's not impressed with my faith? 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Everyone say, thank you, God, for remaining faithful when I'm faithless. You guys can have a seat. Give him a hand. I told Bodacious I was going to be there by 12 o'clock today. And so let's land this Father's Day plan playing with this. If you need one word from God today, I just want to submit to you one I know he's saying. It's the word come. That's right. Three months ago, my wife and I were talking. I told Sarah months and months and months. I said, babe, I know that I know. And I could show you the journals to prove it. I know that God's calling me to leave one of the most blessed, prosperous churches in the world. Gateway Church operates on an $86 million budget. The second largest budget to the church where I'm a pastor, in Gate I'm one of the pastors at Gateway. The second largest is $42 million budget of annual, all the income coming in. It's, it's all over two and a half times larger than any church in the world as far as income we have 537 full-time staff. My job is I oversee all of our staff and leadership development and training. And in the midst of this, at one of the most blessed places on the planet, I knew the Lord was telling me it's time to go. And I knew so strongly it was time for me to go that I told my boss, we're going to move this summer and we're going to go start a church in the Nashville area. And so we'd already stepped out saying we were going to go start a church. Less than two weeks after I told my boss we're stepping out by faith, I have no idea where provision is going to come from. I don't know what God's going to do. The same thing Joel experienced when he said we're starting a church in Sulphur Springs, Texas. You step out. It's hard. It's hard. And I started hearing these voices inside, like saying, don't leave. Don't abandon your post. Stay focused. Stay here. You're out of good work. Don't leave from it. And I realized I'm staying here because I'm afraid that they're going to think I'm crazy if I go. I'm staying here because my wife is very happy here. We're in a great city, in a great school. Our kids love it. Things are wonderful here. I feel crazy if I tell anybody I want to leave this. And I came and told my boss, we have to go. God's calling us to go to a new ministry, start a new ministry in a place I've never even been before. Just a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who was an old roommate in college there's a church in Jacksonville, Florida called Celebration Church. You can look it up, celebration.org. They're getting a lot of trouble because they're, they're loud and for Jesus. You know, it's funny when the whole city files complaints because your worship's too loud and the neighborhoods are 
disturbed by how loud your worship is. I'm like, I'm in for that. <laughs> and so what happened was they asked me to come out and do consulting with their leadership team. And so I went out there and was doing consulting with their team. And at lunch, on the first day I was out there, I saw one of the pastors look at the other one and say, he didn't know I heard him. He said, I wonder if he would come and be our executive senior pastor, like the number two guy over our whole staff. And inside, my spirit, here's what I said, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. Don't put your foot on that board. That's not God. They don't know you. If they knew you, they wouldn't invite you out here. All they got to do is call Sulphur Springs, and they'll tell you how crazy that guy is. Don't bring him out there. And all that fear came up inside of me. So I didn't put my foot on that board. I said, I'm going to start a church. I'm going to start a church in Nashville, Tennessee, close to Sarah's parents, and that's what we're going to do. Had our kids praying. They wanted to go to LSU. <laughs> they wanted to go, let's go plant one at LSU. We love LSU. I was like, who taught y'all that trash? <laughs> And I, I like LSU, by the way. So, um, so what happened was, is we came back and I told my boss, I said, you know what, I, we're going to plant a church. And um, I said, but this church, Celebration Church, they asked me if I'm interested. And they actually came and asked if I would pray about moving there and being the executive senior pastor. And I never believed it would happen. And then I got a phone call the next week and the senior pastor, uh, Pastor Stovall Weems, his dad, by the way, is the president of the athletic board at LSU. And uh, so I know it's from God. Um, and so um, as, as he was, uh, as, as he called me, he said, any chance I can fly you out next week? I really want to visit with you. And, um, and these are the words he said to me. And um, it wasn't him. This was God. He said, uh, our entire executive team told me I'm crazy if I don't hire you. And this was like looking over the ocean. Sarah's still never been there before. And he said, and two, we, we need your help. I know you want to plant a church, but man, if you'll just give me three years, I'll help you plant a church wherever you want to go. I was like, that's cool. Then he said, three, man, you're from LSU and you know the Duck Dynasty guys. I mean, this, this has got to be God. <laughs> so come on. And he said, so we just pray about it. And then when he made the offer the next day, inside I went, what? What? Are you kidding me? Are you ki Inside I was like, oh my goodness, because it was way more than I ever dreamed or expected. And I, have you ever been in a process where you're like Abraham and you're going to make a sacrifice and then a ram comes out? God didn't just give a ram, he gave a big old fat lamb, you know what I mean? I mean, a bit, I'm like, God, me, this has got to be because you love Sarah. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, anything God does good in my life, it's got to be because of Sarah. And then this was what the Lord said in my, he told me in my journal. He said, I love you, Jeff. And so do you, Dad. And do you, Dad. And do you, Dad. I want you to know there's nothing you've ever done or nothing you'll ever do that'll change how much the Father loves you.